I've lived in Onihanga for probably 15 years now. Yeah. Light rail, I'm not convinced it's worth the money that they're going to spend on it. That's the word on the street. So why is light rail going to be so costly? The answer is much more complicated than you might think. Because they say 30 million now, you'd have to go 45, wouldn't you? If not more. So that's a lot of money that could be spent elsewhere as well as there being something provided for fast rail or light rail or whatever. Yeah, that's what lots of people are saying actually, Mm. that the expense is the main thing. Yes, yes, I think it's a horrifying burden to put on the younger ones. Welcome to Imbi. Are you more of a NIMBY, not in my backyard, or a YIMBY, yes in my backyard? Well, I'm sure it all depends. I'm Rachel Sturgis, and in this brand new podcast from Unihanger FM, I'm taking a look at infrastructure projects being planned in my backyard. In this episode, I look at the huge cost of light rail and why it's going to cost that much. We ask if it's worth the money and what else could we do with the same amount. I also find out about the opportunity Light Rail presents, not only for Unihanger, but for all of Auckland. There has been a huge criticism of this particular price, this cost. Indeed there has. <laughs> That's right. I'm talking to Simon Wilson, senior writer about all things urban and transport for the New Zealand Herald. The other big weakness of the government's current plan of the tunnel of light rail is that it sucks almost all the money up. Right. Light rail is um, more expensive in general than uh, rapid buses like the northern busway we have in Auckland and the eastern busway that's now under construction, but can move more people than a busway. And the northern busway, when it was built, it was always intended that that at some point would probably be converted to a, a light rail line. Of course, there's an immediate problem with that. You build a busway and it reaches capacity. Are you going to stop for two years carrying all those people while you convert it to light rail? Yeah, yeah. That's the argument. One of the arguments for light rail is it's better to build what you intend to, it to become straight away because you don't have that later disruption. Mm. Yeah. And light rail is cheaper than heavy rail, what we, what we currently have in Auckland, the electric rail system. That is a more expensive option to build. So if it's generally considered cheaper to build than the other options, what's making this this particular project, light rail project, so expensive? In the case of the Auckland light rail line from Wynyard Quarter, the city centre, to Mangere and the airport, that is expensive because part of it is proposed to be tunnelled. Um, it would be expensive anyway, but it would be cheaper than a, a, a heavy rail. Um, but it's particularly expensive because of that tunnelled option, tunnelling it all the way from the city centre to somewhere near Onihanga. Yeah, yeah. And there's been a bit of debate about, um, I know transport commentators have been disappointed with the government decision to have it tunnelled. And uh, apparently the reason why the government has gone for the tunnelled option up to Mount Roskill is because they don't want to cause uh, disruption, you know, along the surface of roads. It, it, it's slightly disputed why they've done that. Um, it's certainly generally uh, understood that if you are building tunnels, then you're less disruptive than you are if you're, if you're uh, doing it on the surface. Now, the Auckland Light Rail Project say that's not the reason for, for the tunnelled option. They argue the tunnelled option would allow the, the trains to go faster, therefore have more capacity on the line and would therefore unlock 
the route for housing to a larger degree uh, than a surface option would. The principal of Royal Oak Intermediate, Tony Cotlin, thinks it's worth the cost. Some people have said it can't be light rail because it's far too expensive and the modes they're suggesting, which is tunnelled light rail as far as Mount Roskill and then overground through to Mangari, they're saying the cost is so prohibitive that it could actually pay for lots of different modes of public transport. What's your view on that? It's a really interesting question and I'm not an expert by any stretch, but it's something I've done quite a bit of reading about and I'm actually optimistic that they're taking a longer view in terms of the ability of light rail to shift large numbers of people. So, you know, we're talking about getting 50 people on a bus, but getting 200 people on a train. Uh, We're talking about a bus needing a driver, you know, trains potentially going to be fully automated. Hmm. And, And in terms of the ability to upscale the capacity sitting alongside the intensification of housing that's going on. Yes, I understand about the cost being high. I'm heartened that we are seeing various forms of infrastructure being created. And my instinct is that this is good. And my instinct is that the people who are behind this like they've got nothing to gain from this. They're doing it mm. because they believe that on the balance of facts, it's a good thing to do. I've got faith in them. They're professionals. I can hear a few podcast listeners scoffing. Uh, but, <laughs> well, know. you know, there's going to be all points of view on this podcast. My position has always been, I guess the wider discussion is that we should build a surface route first, partly because it's cheaper, it's faster to build, we can get up and running. Matt Lowry of the Greater Auckland Transport and Urban blog is more cynical of the reason why part of the route will be tunnelled. There's a lot of false narratives being created around surface or tunnelling options and, mm. and you know, there's a bit of leaning on the scales that's occurred to try and get certain outcomes that, that people building it want or potentially building it want. You have, you have a lot of people involved in the project are tunnelling experts and so they want to build a tunnel is essentially part of it. It's not the only issue and there's reasons they got to that but... Yeah, you know, there's been a discussion between do we build service, do we build a tunnel? And the argument has often been that tunnel gives us better long-term options and it's yes, it's more expensive, but we've got all this extra capacity. But the reality is that half of that capacity, we will never use all the capacity that's provided by how it's overall design. What were the other reasons they gave, Matt? The, the surface route has been um, downplayed because they're saying, well, it's on the surface, there's going to be traffic lights and cars and and we require a lot more width of Dominion Road so therefore we need to widen Dominion Road and, and all the property purchase that, that occurs and that's it's not what you have to do and it's not what was originally designed but it's essentially a way to make it more expensive make it look slower and um, and make it look less competitive and therefore we should go for the more expensive option and so even if we just look at, at the travel times that they used to argue why we should go with this underground option they compare it not from the city center where most people are traveling to but from on the other side of the city center from Winniard to to the airport um, or to Onehanger and so therefore light rail looks a lot slower mm. for that mm. regard but when it, in actuality it's only less than five minutes slower and it'll be even less than that when you consider that uh, for all those stations on the isthmus where you've got a, yeah. you've got the light rail in the tunnel you actually have to get down into the station to do it um, you know if you look at Britomart for example which is not that deep it still takes one to two minutes to walk up from the platforms up mm. to the station and outside under the open air. 
if you think of adding an extra couple of minutes to every journey just to get in and out of the stations, yeah, yeah. that's that time difference yeah. actually is almost negated by the time you get to the airport of the Onihanga, you know, particularly if you're going somewhere on the isthmus. So it's estimated it's going to cost about $9 billion, and that's even without some sort of massive blowout. Yeah, but part of the problem with it, if you look at the cost of that, the average is almost $300 million per kilometre. Most cities around the world are building this for $100, $150 million a kilometre. So there's something funny that's going on with the costing as to making it twice as expensive as almost anywhere else in the world for that surface option. Going back to Simon Wilson, I asked him what he thinks about tunnelling. I know there's some people um, who would prefer it doesn't come through any hangar on the surface at all. Like, for example, the local board has strongly recommended that it's tunnelled through. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of that, to be quite honest, but I'd imagine that it'd be extremely difficult to tunnel through an area like Anihanga. You've got the sea on one side, you've got lava rock all the way through. So there are there are some conflicting aims, and there are also, as you mentioned, some engineering realities. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> conflicting aims, so everybody wants to minimise disruption, Disrup- minimise disruption during construction, yeah. and also minimise disruption afterwards. Do you, How close do you want a busy rail line to, to be to schools? You want it close enough so it's useful to schools, but you don't necessarily want it uh, disrupting the classroom every two minutes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so there are issues there. And, of course, everybody looks at the disruption that was caused by the City Rail Link, which I think ought to be universally understood was very badly managed, um, particularly in the city centre and Albert Street and around there, and says, never again. Please, mm. we don't want to develop the city uh, having to go through that. Uh, so there is a real political priority and a social priority on uh, finding ways to build infrastructure that don't wreck businesses and lives for years and years during the construction process. That's really important. So that's one part of it. Uh, the other part of it is that we do need transit. We do need this line and we need a number of other lines. And the the, the larger plan, which both National and Labour are committed to, is mm. to have a range of transit options uh, around the city, reaching it to the south, the north, the west and the east. Mm. Both of them want to do that. Uh, National reiterated that with its new plan. When it comes to the only hunger stretch of the current Auckland Light Rail proposal, mm. uh, if that line went alongside the motorway and, and, and the lagoon and didn't come into the town centre, it's clearly, clearly a lot less disruptive. But it would also clearly be convenient for fewer people to use once it's finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's the trade-off and that's that's the debate. And that debate's going to play out all over the city you know, in the years and decades to come. Yeah, uh, And it just keeps on playing out. Uh, and, it, and it, of course, it will play out if the government decides it doesn't want to dig tunnels after all, it will play out on Sandringham Road or Dominion Road. And there's already another problem for the light rail project, um, and that's the one of the volcanic rock. Um, So boring through that makes it more expensive, I suppose. Yeah, the Auckland Light Rail have just put down uh, a whole lot of bores in the uh, Wesley and Kingsland area and discovered 30 to 50 feet of basalt. That's volcanic rock. Uh, which they think they can't dig through. And this is 
Auckland City. This is what it is. And and, and the city yeah. railing struck some of that and, and it was problematic for them. So tunnels in this city with all that underground uh, volcanic rock there is a deeply problematic exercise. And the more we plan to do it, the slower progress will be because we know uh, that wherever anyone proposes a tunnel, it's going to take longer than they thought. It's going to cost more. You know, it's going to be more difficult to do. So there's your trade-off too. Do we want to get these services up and running or do we want to you know, build them with a larger capacity over a greater length of time and maybe less disruption but at enormously higher cost? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, There's no obvious answer. <laughs> it's pretty much, you know, say 70% is going to be really, really hard to dig through uh, bore through volcanic rock and they decide to go all the way on the surface it won't be as fast but it will move still move lots of people i think that's the argument that's the main answer to the people who want tunnel for greater capacity that uh, even if it's surface it's still going to move an awful lot of people um, and if in 30 years you find that you've got to add another line somewhere uh, well maybe that's the maybe that's the an acceptable price to pay uh, yeah. I think we get too hung up on disruption and not on the opportunity. And so there are right. a of really interesting opportunities that you can do with a surface like rail line. The speed it is, the capacity, the urban regeneration potential that it has. And you know, we're seeing these things occur you know, right across right across the Dutch, you know, as a Gold Coast, Sydney, Canberra have all in the recent years built new light rail lines. Obviously Melbourne have its historic ones, but these cities have all built new ones. And they are succeeding very well. You know, the Gold Coast is now onto its third extension, and and looking at the fourth one, which is you know they're building it out more and more. They, they keep extending it to expand the network. Mm. So they, these things have been really successful for what they are, and there's no reason why we shouldn't expect that light rail in Auckland wouldn't be the same. Um, you know, it would be fantastic for any hunger. It'd be fantastic for if we could build it on the surface for Dominion Road. It'd be fantastic for all those communities and linking them up and providing a proper connected network for Auckland, which is what we really need for public transport. And that's really what will drive long-term usage and and change in how we live and particularly preventing sprawl and which will create more congestion, more emissions and you know, less, less connected communities. I definitely think it will bring an improvement. It'll open up areas for people that don't normally... Um, access Onihanga. So a lot of people come past on the motorway, a lot of people come to Dressmart, but if you're having people from Mount Roskill or having people from Mangere who um, are crossing over and coming through Onihanga, then it just means that more people might stop off and do something different. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? It's also, you know, we're relatively close to Mount Smart Stadium. So it's another way of people getting to Mount Smart Stadium from different directions. So the yes, the Southern Line train um, is close to that area, but that only services, you know, the people who can access that train line. Whereas yeah. this will open it up, and they will be able to get off at Onihanga and change and, and um, get other services straight into Mount Smart. There's lots of opportunities that need to be recognised and realised, but it, you know it's going to take some time to make that happen. And for people to really understand that, people really struggle with change. Yeah, that's an issue too, isn't it? I think 
that the other thing it will do will be promote more development of residential property in the town centre. I don't necessarily think that they should develop it in areas that are currently business areas, but if you look at apartments that are popping up and things like that, then people will not need a car, they can just use decent public transport. You know, only hangar has the capacity with uh, Cornwall Park on one side and the sea at the other to be a really splendid part of the city, you know, if, if all that design of transport is managed well. Mm. Better transport that is, it's a silly word to say aesthetics, but it needs to be nicer to be in, it needs to be, um, it needs to reflect the fact that, as you say, there is actually a proper beach there. There yeah. is the capacity to restore uh, quite a lot of the what used to be a, a seaside town. Yeah. Um, and with very fast growth in residential uh, side of Onihanga, which is happening now, it need, it absolutely needs it. Mm. Um, it's an important important part of the, the amenity of the, of the suburb, a mm. uh, vital part. So in your columns for the New Zealand Herald, you often talk about European cities that have effected change in their public transport systems. You know, they've made things happen. But tell me a bit more about that, Simon. Those European cities did what Auckland did uh, after the war in the 50s. They tore out, many of them tore out the tram lines. Many of them said the car is the future. They agreed with that. And there are photos of those cities in the 70s, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, cities we now think of as not big car cities, just clogged up with cars. Yeah. Uh, and what changed was there was a very active lobby, uh, which fought and fought and fought and protested, um, had some political successes, but also some political failures, and just kept pushing and kept pushing and created over time a, a, a different culture. Mm. Um, all the same arguments we see now happened then, mm. uh, except climate change is a bigger argument. Um, and, and as a result, those cities have become um, much more pedestrian friendly, much more uh, safer. Uh, the business sector, retail sector booms because of it, the best shopping. If you, if anybody traveling to Europe, if you go to the big places where you shop, uh, you'll, you'll walk around. Uh, yeah. You'll find that it is, it's pedestrianized. It's just normal now. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to public transport like this, more routes are better. If you look at the likes of London and Paris and New York and all those those cities that we want to travel to and admire their public transport networks, they are built over time. There's always going to be a need for public transport on the surface on Dominion Road. There is absolutely a need to improve town centres along the route, both Onihanga, you know, Balmoral, Mount Roscoe, all those town centres need improvement. And so even if we were to build a surface like rail and then have to replace it, build something else in 20 years' time, that would still be a good investment for Auckland as a whole because we're getting two routes out of it, we're getting urban uplift, we're getting all those benefits that come from that investment. And then if in the future we have to expand and build another line or you know, we can build another surface line or multiple surface lines or a tunnel or something else in the future, mm. hey, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing. And I guess we can look at it as no one's complaining about the investment we put in place for yes. Britomart, which opened just over 20 years ago now. No one's complaining that the investment of that means we now have to build the city rail link. No one's complaining that the investment in the Northern Busway, yes. which was opened in 2008, means that that is now got capacity issues and we might have to look at doing something else. Those are actually signs of success and those are the sorts of things that we should be encouraging because 
you know, it's better to spend in, in the light rail sense a couple of billion dollars now than spending fifteen yeah. billion dollars now and find yeah. it doesn't doesn't live up to expectations. We, if, we, if we spend a couple of billion dollars now and we have to expand it in the future, it, it's, yes, it's a lot of money. But as I said earlier, we're not going to lose that investment because we're still going to be value in what we've built. If it's at capacity or over capacity and we need to build more, that's great. That's a sign of success and a sign of change, and we can build more and have a greater overall network than than we would have had otherwise. Tony Coughlin from Royal Oak Intermediate summed it up really well. I think it's a good thing, and, and I really hope that it keeps moving forward and I get that it's got to be done right I'm glad that they are consulting giving people opportunities to feedback I'm glad that they are factoring in as as you said the community stuff around it and you know for example the plans for some of the stations that I have seen just look fantastic you know and it's about making the place a more livable city rather than just staying in their house and then in their car and driving down the street Thanks for listening to the second episode of Imbi. I hope you found it as interesting and informative as I did. In my next episode, we're talking about taking the politics out of transport because, in a perfect world, if we did, things would get done more quickly and we'd have no more uncertainty, right? Also, pigs might fly. Who knows? So... Follow the show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And if you've got a few minutes to leave a review on Apple, we'd really appreciate it. I'd like to thank everybody that joined me to share their views, and a big shout out to the Mangakiakia local board who funded the creation of this season. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to reach out, I'm available on at Rach Sturge on Facebook, Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. Or you can email me on rachel at unihunger.fm. I'll catch you in the next episode of Imbi, In My Backyard. After all, it's your backyard too. Uh-huh.